0: So if you will turn with me in the book of Psalms, Psalm 9. We uh, we have Psalm 9. We will eventually get to Psalm 10, and then we will start the book of Ecclesiastes. And then once we get through the book of Ecclesiastes, we'll come back to the book of Psalms and we'll look at between five and ten Psalms. And then I think we'll go to the book of Colossians. So just to give you a general Roadmap that is uh, <clears throat> can be amended. Um, except today, we're in Psalm 9 today. I, I don't think that's going to get amended. That's one thing. Well, you never know, but I'm pretty certain I'm going to at least start in Psalm 9. Psalm 9 is a psalm of praise and prayer. It is one that informs the people of God about the nature of God and his relationship with them. So today we will see and be informed about who God is and what his relationship is with his people. Just a a little bit of background that may be helpful or may be interesting and maybe is, maybe not, but here it is. There are many traditions, religious traditions, that will combine both Psalm nine and ten into a single thirty eight verse hymn. They uh, treat it as a single hymn, and there are a lot of reasons for that. Um, and, and I won't go into all of the gory details as to why those two why these two psalms have been um, put together. But we are going to treat Psalm 9 and 10 as two separate hymns. And one of the reasons why is because the Hebrew Bible treats them as two separate psalms. And so we think that that's probably the best way to go. So we will look at Psalm 9 today. There are 20 verses. And the next next time we are in the book of Psalms, we will look at Psalm 10. Now... The structure of this psalm, and part of Psalm 10 even also as well, is is a is an acrostic psalm. And an acrostic psalm is just that the it follows the Hebrew alphabet. So the first line will be um, an Aleph, which is an A, and the the next line will be a baith, which is a B, and the next line is a Gimel, which is a G, and it will go through the Hebrew alphabet. So basically, A B C. D-E-F, it would be like if you wrote an acrostic poem, you would do the first line beginning with A, the second line would begin with a B, the third line would begin with a C, and you would go all the way through the English alphabet or partway through, but that would be an acrostic psalm. uh, It's helpful for memory, but it's also just a poetic device that the psalmist uses periodically. And so this is an acrostic psalm. Um, Psalm 10 also is partly acrostic, And so, like I said, each verse begins with a subsequent letter of the Hebrew alphabet. One of the other things that we will see in this psalm is numerous repeated themes, so especially from Psalm 7. So if you you were not here for Psalm 7, um, I'm going to pick up a number of themes that were in Psalm 7 and talk about them uh, again. So I might kind of repeat myself, and that's okay. Um, But if you were not here... um, if you were so if you were here for Psalm seven, you might say, haven't we heard this before It's like, yes, you have probably about two or three weeks ago you heard these very same things because Psalm nine picks up numerous themes from previous psalms. Um, if you were not here, some of this will be new, but you can also go back and listen to uh, Psalm seven uh, right from our website our our uh, Uh, Psalm 7, there's a recording there of that. There are also notes for Psalm 7. So many of the themes that we're going to talk about um, today, like God being the righteous judge, God being a stronghold, those themes are carried through Psalm chapter 9. One of the things I loved about this particular psalm is um, the outline. It was super easy. There is David's praise and David's prayer. I just love that fact that we can have just two big themes, David's praise and David's prayer. And so I'm going to spend the, the majority of our time on David's praise. Um, we will look a little bit at David's prayer, but that will be much more brief. We will give most of our attention today to David's prayer. So we have sung Psalm 9. Would you follow along with me and and follow along as I read Psalm chapter 9? Listen, church, to the inerrant word of the living God, to the choir master, according to Muth Laban, a Psalm of David. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wondrous deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the people his deeds. For He who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death that I may recount all your praises in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit that they have made. In the net that they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the works of their own hands. Higion Selah. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Selah. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God abides forever. So we begin in verse 1 with David's... The big theme here is David's praise, verses 1 through 12. And so the psalm begins with praise um, that God is fair, that God is wise, that God is just. I want to begin with the nature of David's praise. Because he says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. It begins with be glad. It begins with a joyful thing. It begins with thanksgiving. And note, with a whole heart. I will, David says, I will speak highly of you. I will make your name great with my entire being. What a great word this is for us. And we'll talk about this a, a little bit later on in, in the message. But it is easy to be men and women who give thanks with our lips but not with our heart. Lip service is far too often accommodated and accepted. And just to be fair, um, I will agree that sometimes we are in a place where it is difficult to give wholehearted thanks to God. We come burdened, we come afraid, we we gather together in in. And internally or inside, we are struggling. And then we are saying, well, we've got to give praise to God, and so we go through the motions and we do so. I see that. I recognize that. I've, been, I've done that. The question then that I hope to address, or one question that I hope to address today, and that I think this psalm addresses is then how do we move beyond mere lip service? When I come and I'm frightened and I'm afraid or I'm burdened or I'm scared or I have all of these things or um, I'm anticipating some some event this week, how do I come and give thanks to God with a whole heart? Or how do I give thanks to God with a whole heart throughout the week? And while this is not a step-by-step how-to um, I think there are some meaningful uh, helps in this psalm that will point us to reflect on the nature and goodness of God which I would trust and would actually change our hearts so that we would have hearts that give praise to God. And so the, the psalm begins with thanksgiving. And notice what David says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. And here's a key verse, I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. Lip service forgets God's great deeds. When we recall the great deeds that God has done, that God has performed among us, From the past, that becomes a critical tool to enable a changed heart. One that will change our heart to a place of thankfulness. It will be a helpful guide in defeating mere lip service. That is, we remember what God has done. This is a key theme in all of the Bible. Remember, 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 remember. Remember what God has done, and here David is saying, "I will give thanks to God with a whole heart. I will remember, I will recount all of Your wonderful deeds." When we begin to give thanks to God and remember all that He has done, we will be. I, it's not we should, would not be surprised that we move from mere lip service to giving thanks with a whole heart. David would have been a man who would have remembered the Exodus. Not that he participated in the Exodus, but he remembers how God delivered his people, that the people of God were oppressed by Pharaoh. They were enslaved by Egypt and God by his mighty right hand delivered a people out of God's Faithfulness, he made certain his promise and fulfilled his promise. So certainly by remembering and recounting the deeds of God, what has God done? God has delivered us from the slavery that was found in Egypt. He delivered, David would have, might have recounted that God has delivered me from the murderous hand of Saul. I got chased all over the desert for no good reason whatsoever. And yet God spared me. God delivered me. God made me king. God kept me from these, um, from this physical harm. He would have remembered that. He might have remembered his friendship with Jonathan. God, not only did you give me an enemy in Saul, but you gave me a friend in Jonathan who stood by me, who helped me, who loved me, cared for me. You've given me enemies and been faithful against their threats and you've given me friendships that have supported and helped me. You gave me victory over Goliath. I was utterly overmatched. I was just a kid. I didn't know any better. And Goliath was a well-trained military man. And you gave me victory. It was your victory. Not my brilliance. Not even my skill. It was you, O Lord, who delivered me from this giant. When we recount God's wondrous deeds and we give thanks to him, we are... I want us to recall that the deeds of God are not mere wishful thinking, but they are grounded in reality. They are what God has actually done. We are remembering what God has actually done. So, one of the things we, we do in our church service every week is we remember our sin. And we remember God's faithful forgiveness of our sin in Christ. We recount that every Sunday. We remind ourselves that we have fallen short of the glory of God. We remind ourselves that we are by nature children of God's wrath. But God... Saved us by his grace. We remember that every week. But let me encourage you and exhort you that that should not be a Sunday-only event. We do it weekly that we might structure our lives around that format. We repeat that format every Sunday. I would hope and pray that you would take that format maybe and apply it in your daily lives, that you wake up in the morning with adoration and you confess your sins and you give praise to God for the great things He has done. You remember, this is where I was and now God has brought me to this particular place by His mighty right hand. What has God done? What has God done for you when you were lost? What did God do when you were a rebel against God? What did he do? I think about when I was denying God and hating God, God, there were many opportunities where my life should have been lost and I would have been lost in eternity without God and he spared me. For what reason? I have no idea. I had only earned his wrath and yet he spared me. Oh, thank God. For his long suffering. What has God done when you were lost? When you were tempted? I remember when I was tempted. And and God enabled me. Gave me the ability through some means to overcome that temptation. Or perhaps when I was tempted and I gave in. And I fell upon my face and cried out to the Lord. And he stretched out his arm and he said, You... My child still belonged to me. My sacrifice for you is sufficient even in this sin. Oh, God had mercy upon me. He had mercy upon me when I was tempted and overcame, and He was. I remember His great deeds when I sinned and He forgave me. When I was threatened and He um, removed the threat or sustained me in that threat. Folks, God, recall God's wondrous deeds. Remember them over and over and over again. And as we do, I think we will move from mere lip service to thank God with all of my heart, with a whole heart. We should note here that David's praise is public. That is, he tells others of God's great deeds. We'll talk a little bit about this as we go along, but let's not be shy. Let us not be timid individuals who declare God in our own minds and in our own houses but fail to remember God's great deeds publicly. And that's one of the reasons we gather together. We recount God's great deeds. So, quick summary of the nature of David's praise is that by remembering the past works of God will establish us in the present and prepare us for the future. And this is where Dave, David goes. He, he quickly, um, his, the psalm shifts from kind of the, the past and the present tense to the future tense. And I want to talk a little bit about the content now. We've looked at the nature of David's praise that it is with a whole heart that he remembered the great things that God has done and his heart is lifted up and it gives praise to God Almighty. Now we would like to, I want to spend a little bit of time looking at the content of David's praise and I'm going to do this. I'm going to look at four, I guess four contents, if you will, of David's praise. We will look at David giving praise to God for personal deliverance, for national deliverance, gives praise to God that God is a righteous judge and that God is, is a great refuge. I want you to note verse three: When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. This is a, a an, an interesting phrase here because it is technically speaking of David has enemies. Right now, he has enemies. He's speaking of a future event. When they turn back. When my enemies turn back. Right now, there are enemies around me. But when they turn back in the future, so David is presently afflicted, but there is a confidence that God will turn his enemies back in the future. In, in other words, we, we might call this... Um, I had a word, but I forgot it. I'll remember it later. I'll give it to you then. But David is strengthening himself by recounting God's deeds in the past, and now he is prepared to trust God in the future. Praising God in faith. That's it. David is praising God in faith. He's got enemies all around him. But I believe, that there is a day when those enemies are going to be turned back. I will praise God, not for the present, but for the fact that God is faithful to do what God has said. I am praising God in faith. The enemy's defeat lie not in David's strength, but lie in the power of God as defender and judge. When When they turn back, they stumble and they perish before your presence. In the midst of his enemies, David has hope. Remember, David has hope for the future because he's recalled God's faithfulness in the past. And, and again, just kind of pointing to, to what we do and why we do Sunday morning the way we do them when we... Celebrate and partake of the Lord's Supper. What are we doing? We are remembering God's past deeds. That is his atoning work on Calvary for our sin. We are remembering and we are um, reminding ourselves of of the present assurance that we are right now forgiven and a future victory that he will one day and we will one day partake with him at the wedding supper of the Lamb. The Lord's Supper is a past, present, and future reality and helps us to recall and remember and give thanks to God with a whole heart. And so we remember God's past deeds. That is, you died on Calvary and shed your blood and your body was broken. And I am right now forgiven of my sins. And I'm remembering that every time I take the bread and take the cup and, oh, that's right, you will sustain me to the end and you will receive me to where you are. You've gone to prepare a place for me that where you are, I may come. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 helps us in this where Paul says that I'm, I'm confident of this. I'm confident this. that God who began passed a good work in you will right will perfect it until the day of our lord and savior and so david is praising god when my enemies turn back they stumble and perish before your presence for you have maintained my just cause you have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment here we are reminded that god is a just judge and we we looked at this in Quite a bit of depth in Psalm chapter seven. I would encourage you to go back and listen to that psalm. That God is a just, He is a just judge. God cannot be bribed. God cannot be tricked. He is a just judge, and He will judge. He will judge righteously. So this is David's um, personal prayer. I will be. Um, when my enemies turn back, they stumble, or David's personal praise, or the content of his praise, this is personal. When my, my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. You have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. There is also a national deliverance that, God gives, that David gives praise for. The nations, God rebukes the wicked nations. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their names forever and ever. God rebukes the wicked nations. This certainly drives us back to Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves. They, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. They say, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their courts from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord beholds them in derision. He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. God is on their throne and he rebukes the wicked nations. The nations rage and they set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed and God sits in heaven and scoffs. We might look around and we might think, oh, look at our nation or look at the nations that that are struggling and look at, is there any hope? They have defied God, we have abandoned God, we mock God in all of these ways and we, we are concerned about our future and know this, God sits in heaven and scoffs. The nations rage and they set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed and then David gives praise to God that you have blotted out their name forever and ever. There is still a day that is to come when wickedness will be remembered no more. When we think of the the eternal state, when we are on a new heaven and a new earth where every tear is wiped away and death has died. In that place, I don't think there will be a Holocaust museum. Why do we have museums that, sell, that recognize the horrors that man has inflicted upon mankind? Plaques and memorials of, of battles, significant battles that were fought. We have them to remember of the horror of what occurred. But God blots out that forever. No more remembrance. Those are gone. There is still a day when wickedness, there is a day coming when wickedness will no longer be remembered. This is pointing forward to a time where Christ who disarms the enemy and will put them to open shame. Colossians chapter 2, verse 5. We read this. Oh, 2.15. He, he, Christ, disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That happened at the cross, and there will come a day when that is ultimately put down, and their names will be blotted out forever. God is a just judge. He is a righteous king who rules, and he rules in justice. Acts chapter 17, verse 30, we read this. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. God rules in justice, and He is calling men and women from every corner of the earth to call upon his name to repent of their sins and cry out to him. And God rules in justice. Those who don't will be judged and those who do will be saved. And let me say this also, you have not, if you're wondering, you're thinking, well, maybe I've outsinned God's grace. Maybe I'm just destined to be condemned. Let me tell you, you have not out-sinned the grace of God. If you come to him in humility and call upon him to be saved, God is a just judge and he will save the repentant. God is also a wonderful refuge. And we see this here. um, In verse 9, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Our God is a great Refuge and a stronghold in the time of trouble. Again, we we unpack this quite a bit in Psalm chapter 7, but God is sufficient in every trial. God is a place of worship. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to him and are saved. And let me just say this also, that at least in the physical, the natural sense, a refuge is threat dependent. In other words, you might run to an underground shelter when a tornado comes. And it is a sufficient and great place to take shelter in the, case of a, in the case of a tornado. But in the case of a flood, that shelter is not so good. My point is this. God is a great shelter regardless of the threat. It does not matter. He is not threat dependent. Well, he's good in these cases, but not so good in these other cases. God's, as a refuge, a stronghold in the time of trouble, is not threat dependent. He is not good when there is slander against us, but not so good when something else is coming against us. God is sufficient as a defense and a stronghold, regardless of the trouble that you are facing. He has not forsaken those who seek him. In fact, he says this, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And then Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in the time of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned on Zion. Tell among the people his deeds. So once again, there is um, infectious or contagious praise. I'm going to praise God. I'm going to proclaim the praises of God to the people. And then, imagine that, other people begin to take up the praise of God. Tell of his wondrous deeds. Not only in the Great Commission that Jesus says, I am with you always, but also tell other people of the great things that I have done in the person and the work of Christ. And so we have looked at the nature of David's praise. It is recalling the past. It is going to help him in the future. We've seen the content of David's praise, that it is for personal deliverance, it is for national deliverance, that God rules in justice and that he is a sufficient refuge. And then I want to look at verse 12. I'm sorry, verse 11. Sing praises to the Lord. Just a quick grammar lesson. That's an imperative. It is a command to sing praises to the Lord. Kind of interesting to me that God would command us to praise him. Now, normally we might think that, well, if any human being said, I command you to praise me, If a king says, you must praise me. If an emperor says, you must praise me. If a person, an athlete says, you must praise me. Or passes a law that says, you must praise me. We would say, you are an arrogant jerk. And here God commands his people to praise him. I will maintain that he is not arrogant. Nor does God need praise in Acts chapter 17 verses 24 and 25 we read the god who made the world and everything in it being lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything for himself for that he needed anything since He himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God is in need of nothing. Our praising God does not now add to God. It doesn't make him happier or more joyful. Or it isn't like, well, somehow now that completes God. God is already complete. God is already perfect. But there's a command to praise God. And I'm going to steal much of the next part of my message from C.S. Lewis because I think he does a very nice job of talking about the joyful Christian. See, you and I, we praise the things we enjoy. We praise that which we enjoy. Some of us will will go home today and we will watch a a sporting event and when our team or the individual that we are rooting for... um, does something great, we will stand up maybe and shout. Oh my goodness, how great that is. I mean, right? The world championship road race was just this morning, right? And you all got up and rejoiced when Evander... uh, (laughs) Evanderpole won, right? Oh yeah, you missed that one. But you saw yesterday when... When Van Fluten won the women's race with a broken elbow. And we all just jumped up and shouted. We praise the things we enjoy, even if we enjoy them alone. (laughs) But we do, we praise the things we enjoy. When we see a great sunset, we say, That's a great sunset! That's a beautiful flower. Look at that cloud formation. Look at the joy of those children. We praise the things that we enjoy. And it is then the natural conclusion of what we enjoy. In other words, joy isn't complete until we express praise. Until I, I can think that I love my wife and think she's beautiful, but until that joy is not fully expressed, until I say, Simone, you are beautiful. I love you. That completes the joy. The praise is what completes the action. And we do not, and, and to fully enjoy God, it needs to be completed, and it is completed by giving praise to Him. Listen to C.S. Lewis. He writes this, our joy of God, well, he writes this, we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is it's a pointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it's expressed. It's not so, so it's not just merely a compliment. Oh you you're you're beautiful. I love you. It's not just a mere compliment. The joy of the beauty and the love is not complete until it is expressed. And it's expressed in praise. And so when we are commanded to praise God, God knows that the joy of Our relationship to Him, the joy of being united with Him is not complete until we sing hymns of praise or declare that God is great or we see that great sunset and we say, God, thank you. C.S. Lewis also wrote this. We delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is, it's a point of consummation. It is... a." I already read that one. Let me read the next one. God lifts up his glory before us and commands us to praise him because the kindest thing God could do for us is to to demand that we make much of him. Take note of that. The kindest thing that God could do For us is to demand that we make much of him. He compels us to lift our eyes and see that he is the most beautiful and the most exciting being in the universe. He compels us to be glad and happy and joyful by admiring the greatness of his glory. He compels us to see his light and find true life. Folks, the joy of God is not complete until it is expressed, and we express that in praise. And so this first part of this hymn is David's praise. And it ends with, praise God. It begins with, praise God from a whole heart. We would do so by remembering his past deeds. And then this section concludes with, praise the Lord. That will complete your joy. And then we get into David's prayer and I'll be a little less detailed here. But he, he prays be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death that I may recount all your praises that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. Basically, deliver me. Be gracious to me. So David does not approach God on any supposed goodness or achievement of himself. And he's not saying, um, I'm such a great person that and I'm pretty special. You probably should take care of me. No, be gracious to me, O Lord. And then I love this. That I may recount all your praises in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I may rejoice in your salvation. This is contagious praise. Public praise at the city gates of God's salvation, which prompts others to give praise. Spared from the gates of death by the mighty hand of God, David declares the goodness of God in the gates of Jerusalem. Everybody will know of God's salvation. So David's prayer, deliver me and I will praise you and the praise of you will be contagious. God then is just. In verses 15 through 17, we see evil being repaid. We should note that God does not always repay immediately and we can be thankful for that. But in his providence, God does weave justice into the lives of the wicked. Look at this. He talks about, and we talked about this in, in, in Psalm chapter um, 7, where... Um, The nations have sunk in the pit that they have made, and in the net they hid, their own foot has been caught. In God's providence, He weaves justice into the lives of the wicked, such that the greedy are never satisfied. Violent men become victims of violence. Pornography destroys intimacy. Sin carries its own punishment, and God is not mocked. And then we see the fate of the wicked. And we probably have to ask ourselves who are the wicked? The wicked shall return to Sheol. All the nations that forget God. So here's what we have in, this, in these two lines. The wicked, the wicked shall return to Sheol and the wicked are defined as all the nations that forget God. Who are the wicked? The ones who forget God. What was the beginning of the psalm? Is to remember the great things that God has done. And it results in praise and thanksgiving and joy. Who are the wicked? In this psalm, it is those who forgot God. And yet God has provided an ever-present testimony of himself. When we look into the night sky, when we see a sunset, when we look at nature, when we see the beauty, when we see the beauty of a child, and we see all of these things, we are reminded of the beauty and wonder of God. He has not left himself without witness. He has not left himself um, hidden so that we might forget him. He calls us to remember him. And that's another reason why we praise God so that we don't forget because when we're praising God we're remembering the great things that He has done in our hearts and in our minds. The cessation of praise devolves into forgetfulness. When I cease to praise God certainly that that, that trajectory will lead us to a place where we forget God. When we are praising God it is very difficult to forget Him. So let's praise God. We should put and then we see this issue of man being put in this place. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Man may forget God, but God does not forget man. We might cry, How long, O Lord? God is training us to trust him. Often he puts us in trying circumstances that we might trust him. Yet in such places, even in those difficult situations, even David in the desert running from Saul, God has not forgotten us. Arise, O Lord. This is a call to action. Let not man prevail. Let Let the nations be judged before you. Let the nations know that they are but men. Last week, we, we mentioned that in the Hebrew, there are a number of ways that we can, there are a number of words for man. And one of the ones that we focused on this last, last week is the word Enosh, and it speaks of man in his frailty. This here is man in his frailty. The word man here is the word Enosh. Man in his frailty. Church, we need to remember that we are but men. We are human, and our frailty is too often overlooked, and our ability is too often exaggerated. It is often evidenced by how we perceive God. Church, there is a breach, and in our inflated, between us and God, and in our inflated view of ourselves, we think that we can repair the breach. Let the nations know that they are but God, or they are but man. And there is a breach between God and men. And we think that we can repair that breach, but it is a God sized breach. And hence only God can repair it. We are frail in the sense of thinking that we can repair that chasm between us and God. We are frail, but God is strong. And so I'm going to wrap this up with just a brief conclusion. I'm going to give you homework this week. My homework is give praise to God this week. Be mindful and intentional, perhaps even substitute um, praise with complaint, praise with gossip, praise with slander degradation. So when you when we're thinking of complaining how can we substitute praise of God? Because more likely than not maybe you're going to complain about your spouse. But I'm looking around. I know most of the spouses in here. And we're all frail and messed up. But I also know the men and women of this church love God. So praise God that your spouse loves the Lord or whatever. Praise God. instead of saying, well, you know, my spouse, they are. may be true, but praise God that you have a faithful spouse. If you don't have a spouse, you can, when you're getting ready to complain, substitute it with praise. Be public. Because others give praise to you. When we meet, instead of saying, well, you know, how you doing? Oh, well, you know, I'm pretty run down. Maybe we can give praise to God. Now here's the thing. I don't want us to deny our difficulty because there are times where we need to express our pain and there are times when we need to express our doubt. I don't want to ignore that. And I don't want us to devolve ourselves into giving just lip service praise. Well, Pastor John said, my homework this week is to give praise to God. So praise God for the sunset. It's beautiful. Thank you, God. Thank you for this nice meal. All right, I did it. I want us to maybe work ourselves to a place where we are praising God from a whole heart. So this may take some time. It may take some prayer. Perhaps next month when we're fasting, we can pray. Lord, how can I give you praise with my whole heart? And probably the first step or a good first step would be praise God for what he's done in your past. In other words, giving praise to God, my homework assignment is not just to change your speech. That's easy. I could, Y'all can do that. And you can come back next week and say, yeah, I gave praise to God. I I want us to be men and women who learn to praise God from all of our heart, even when our enemies are surrounding us. And this may take some prayer. It may take some fasting. It may take some time of remembering what God has done. What has God done for you? I mean, significantly. What has God done? He's delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son. Meditate on that. On what basis? His grace and his grace alone and the merits of Christ's sacrifice and resurrection was sufficient to deliver you out of the domain of darkness and transfer you into the kingdom of his beloved Son. Alright. Now maybe we're going, Well, that's something that's kind of cool. That's pretty that's thankworthy. That's praiseworthy. So it's more than just changing our speech. We might pray, Lord, show me your glory. If I can't think of anything, Lord, show me your glory. What have you done in my life? Make it known to me that I might praise you and I might praise you in the gates of the church on Randall Place. I'll praise you in the gates and other people will exult in praise as well. Let me remember your goodness towards you. Let me remember the mighty deeds that you have accomplished on my behalf through your Son, Jesus Christ. So, that's my homework this for you this week. Actually, for the next two weeks, that's your homework. And uh, so let's be men and women who complete our joy. We, we take joy in the Lord. How do we complete it? By giving praise to God of the great things he has done. And one of the ways we can do that is praising God to others and giving thanks. And they say, why are you, why are you so joyful today? Well, let me tell you what God has done. And it's amazing. So, Father God, we we thank you and we praise you. Our joy in you is not complete until we take joy in you and express that joy. We do it in song and we do it in prayer and we we do it sometimes just off the cuff and um, extemporaneously, Lord God. We just give you praise. I pray, Lord God, that you would help us. Help us to be men and women who exalt in your name. That we complete the joy of being your children by declaring your goodness and mercies towards us. Father, forgive us for grumbling and complaining. Lord, we know that there are enemies around us. We know that we live in trying times. We're not ignoring that. We're just saying, like David, my enemies surround me and you will make them fall. There will come a day, Lord God, when you will deliver me from all of this. And Lord, I praise you for that. Until then, Lord, I will lift up your name and declare your goodness and praise you in the gates for you are worthy of all praise and glory and honor. Hallelujah. Amen.